Hey, well, good morning, everyone. It really is so good to have you here uh, with us this morning. It really is a privilege and a joy. As always, we love being able to gather together. We're just, you know, just one part of the church, right? One part of the body of, the, of Christ that we can worship together, that we can learn and grow and share together. And uh, well done for not being away as well this weekend. It's actually a pretty good, pretty good effort, you know, Waitangi weekend. And you've chosen to be here instead of on holiday. Some of you may not have had much choice, I guess, but <laughs> well done all the same. I always find it quite funny, really, you know, it feels that we've just had the summer break, we just get things started, don't we? We just get launched and then we have a holiday and some schools, as, as Joe said, haven't even bothered to try and start this year, they're, not, they're waiting till Waitangi Day has done. But if you were here with us last week, you'll know that we did get started on something last week and I would like to try and continue on with that today. I shared a thought that I felt God had put on my heart while I was away on holiday. I was walking and asking the Lord, how do we get the year started after a big break and everything gets back into routine and, uh, and back into rhythm? How do we ensure that our hearts and minds are in the right place? What can we do to ensure that we're in alignment with what God wants for us in 2023, that the plans and purposes we have for the year are in agreement with the plans and purposes that God has for us. How do we get the year started in such a way as to honor and glorify God? No, I'm fine. I'm good. It'll be fine. And I felt prompted as I was walking and asking that question to consider and reflect on the Lord's Prayer, which I thought was a little bit odd in the context, but it's these passages that we find in Matthew 6 and Luke 11, where Jesus is teaching the disciples and us how we should pray. And so last week I shared that the first three statements of this prayer, just the first eight words or the first half of the first sentence, would they give us an insight into how we should prioritize what we do. Not just as we pray, but as we start our year, these eight words, our Father. We start by reminding ourselves of the right relationship we can have with Father God, that we are his children, that he loves us and that he cares for us. In heaven... We remind ourselves to put God in his rightful place, that as much as he is Abba Father, that he is close to us, he is also the Lord Most High. He is Lord of Lords, he is creator of the heavens and the earth. Hallowed be your name. As we start the year, we are to remind ourselves of his holiness, that he is worthy of all our praise and our right response to him is to give him the worship that he is due. That's the first eight words. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So this morning, I would like to at least finish that first sentence from Matthew 6. But let's just read the whole passage here. Matthew 6, 9 to 13. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So the second half of this first sentence of this prayer that Jesus is teaching also has three statements in it. And I think they too not just give us a pattern for how we can pray, but a pattern or a model that we can use to start our year and bring focus to our 2023 in the right way. Your kingdom come, 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is that? 14 words. So I think I can speak 50% longer than last week. That sounds right. <laughs> but your kingdom come is the first statement in this, in this part of it. Your kingdom come, which I believe is declaring a right purpose for our year, a right destiny. And unlike Jesus' use of the word father to describe God, which I talked about last week, was a fairly radical idea for the people then to call God father, the concept of the kingdom of God was not one that was unusual for the people of this time. It was already a part of their understanding. It was a part of their culture. In fact, scholars tell us that a commonly used prayer to close the synagogue services at this time included the phrase, May he let his kingdom rule in your lifetime and in your days. The Jewish people understood the idea of kingdom, and they were waiting on a time when the kingdom of God would come on the earth. And many of the Old Testament prophets and poets and writers referenced the idea of the kingdom of God. I just want to read quickly a few passages here. Daniel, the prophet Daniel, chapter 7, verse 27 says, Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. The prophet Isaiah writes in chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, a passage that we read every Christmas. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The songwriters wrote about God's kingdom. Psalm 145, all your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. 1 Chronicles 29, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. That's just a tiny handful of the references in the Old Testament that speak about the kingdom of God. And this is the culture and the background that Jesus is speaking into. The kingdom of God has already been established in the hearts and minds of the Jewish people as a great thing. It's a glorious kingdom that will one day come and will last forever. And that's what they're looking forward to. And the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that this will indeed happen, that we are headed to a time where all other kingdoms and dominions and authorities will fall away under the fully realized kingdom of heaven, where Jesus will rule as king of kings and lord of lords. That is the end game. That is the final destiny and purpose of all creation where the kingdom of God will be on display for all to see. And while on earth, before this Lord's Prayer and after, Jesus spent quite a bit of time speaking and teaching about the kingdom of heaven. 
He told stories about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And oftentimes, the picture he painted of the kingdom was not what the people were expecting. He taught about the last being first and the first being last. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Or that the poor would be rich and that the weak would be strong. He taught that the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like little children. That the kingdom of God is not something that you will see or observe because, in fact, it is living within you. He taught us that the kingdom of God was to be a priority in our lives, something to be sought after, something to be pursued. Matthew 6, verse 33, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things which he'd been talking about, other parts, other needs in life, will be given to you as well. And his very coming to earth 2,000 years ago was the beginning of ushering in that kingdom that he was talking about, a kingdom of righteousness, a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of joy. But we are now living, as were the people then, living in the gap between Jesus bringing in that kingdom and its full manifestation when he comes again at the end of all time. So when Jesus tells us to pray or declare, your kingdom come, we're both looking forward to the one day kingdom of God over all the earth, but we're also inviting the extension of the kingdom of God on earth right now. We're proclaiming your kingdom come, we're declaring the purpose and destiny of all creation, looking forward to the day when he will rule and reign as king of kings and lord of lords over all the earth, but we are also asking that more and more people would accept God's saving grace and acknowledge Jesus as Lord of their life, that more and more people would live by the kingdom principles that he has taught us here and now, and that those principles and purposes would be on display in our own lives as well. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And then the next statement is very similar in a lot of ways, but then different in others. He says, your will be done. And that is, I believe, declaring a right priority, both in prayer and over our lives for the year. Our will is an interesting thing, isn't it? We talk about doing things through sheer willpower. We talk about someone being strong-willed. In fact, that's a characteristic we sometimes even notice in very young children. We talk about someone simply willing something to happen. When different sides disagree about something, there can be a battle of wills, even over the smallest of things, like getting a family of five to agree on what movie we might want to watch together. Seems to never be about what would be the best movie. It always ends up being who caves first. Seems to, that's how we decide. Someone once quoted, a man can do all things if he but wills them, which I probably disagree with that, but that's a quote about wills. Someone else said, life is truly not a battle of skills, but a battle of wills. And we see that take place on the sports field a lot. We have the saying, don't we, over who is going to blink first, right? You've heard that saying, who's going to blink first? That is to do with our wills coming into conflict with each other. I want you to do something, but you don't want to do that thing. Or you want me to do something, but I don't want to do it. So which one of us will blink first? Which one of us will back down? So Jesus is saying here in these four simple words that we are to declare over our lives the willingness to put the will of God 
first. It's like your kingdom come and that we are asking that the will of God be done in all the earth. So there's a, there's a global aspect to your will be done, right? But it's also personal. This is to do with the will. This is to do with desired outcomes, the things we want to happen. We're declaring in the statement that, God, we desire for your will to come to pass, that your plans and purposes would be the ones that are fulfilled in our lives, that our plans and purposes would be surrendered to yours, that your priorities would be our priorities. That is a great thing to not just pray, but declare over ourselves as we get into 2023. But it is also a challenging thing to declare. If it came naturally, I don't think Jesus would have had to have told us to do it. I have to be honest with you, church, of all the statements so far, this is definitely the most challenging for me. This is definitely the one that feels like it costs the most. This is the one that my selfishness wants to fight against. It's not that difficult for me to say, our Father. In fact, I've quite appreciated that reminder over the past few weeks as I've been praying to be reminded of how much Father God loves me and longs to be close to me. It's not that challenging for me to declare in heaven, to proclaim his transcendence, his sovereignty, his lordship. It's not that hard to be reminded to declare hallowed be your name, to proclaim his holiness, his worthiness, to give him the praise and worship that he's due. I can declare that over my year, over 2023. That's pretty easy. Your kingdom come, even. Yes, I want the kingdom of God to advance, to be proclaimed over all the earth, for many more people to hear the good news of the gospel and receive this incredible gift of salvation. I want people to live in peace and righteousness and joy. That's not that challenging for me to declare your kingdom come. But your will be done has a much bigger cost attached to it. Because I now have to submit my will to his, which creates this battle, this contest of wills, these different pulls on my life. There's what God may be asking me to do, and there's what my own selfish being wants to do. And then there's what my boss wants me to do, or my kids want me to do, and they don't always line up. We have this contest of wills. But I've come to learn that one of the reasons it is good to submit to the will of God is because he is always right, and I am not. My wife firmly agreed with that one. I don't know if you've ever had an argument, or, or let's just say a disagreement with someone, and neither of you are willing to concede, neither of you are willing to budge, because you know that you know that you know that you are right. And it's so frustrating that they won't bend their will to yours because they also believe that they are right. But you know that you are. So you can't change, but they think they are. I remember a time way back when I was 14 years old and I was in an extension maths group at school. We had to use abacus. No, it's fine. We were working through a whole bunch of different problems together in this small group, and we got to this one question. It was to do with filling a jar with water, and if the rate of water flow was X this much, and the shape and volume of the jar was like this, then what would the graph look like if we were to measure and plot how high the water level was on the side of jar at regular intervals? 
Okay, so a, a fun question. There was a bit of stuff involved. And we discussed the question, and the teacher said, this is how you do it, and this is what the answer was. And I said, I thought, actually, I think it's a different answer. I think you have to do it like this. So they went back to the problem again. They explained the reasoning. They went through uh, the scenario, and, and this is how you get to that problem. And again, I said, I'm, I'm really sorry, but that's, that's not correct. You have to do it this way. You, this, this is a problem. Now, I wasn't being rude. I never was, truly. I didn't start getting rude till after I left school. But I wasn't backing down because I was completely confident that I understood the question I understood the parameters, and I knew the correct answer. But my teacher started to get very frustrated with me, and to be honest, they expressed their frustration with me that I wouldn't agree to the answer that they had given. And so I, and I was still very calm, because what are you supposed to do when your teacher is sitting in a small group and they're just saying, you're wrong, and you're saying, I'm not? But I just said simply, well, I'm really happy. Let's just move on with the rest of the questions but I am unwilling to accept your answer. And I think those were the words I actually used. <laughs> and they were un unwilling to accept mine. That's fine. That's fine. I was fine. We were fine. But the next day we arrived in class and the teacher got up in front of the whole class, not just the extension group, and started talking about this question again, which I thought was a little uncomfortable. And they explained that he and I had disagreed and that he had not been happy with me for disagreeing and said that he had, in fact, gone home so worked up about the fact that little sweet good boy David Bennett would challenge him over this question that he actually set up and completed the actual experiment with the water and the jar and measured and drew a graph to plot this thing to find that, in fact, I was correct and that he was wrong. So he apologized to me in front of the whole class, which I thought was actually really impressive. I was genuinely trying to think of an example of this kind of thing where I turned out to be wrong, but I can only remember the ones. <laughs> I'm sure if I'd asked some people, um, they would have helped jog my memory, but I chose not to do that. But this is the thing about submitting our will to the Lord's, right? Is that he is actually always right in the end. Right? He always knows what is best for us in the end. It might not feel like it right now. We might feel like there is another path or another thing that would actually suit us better right now, but he knows where it's going. And the will of God, the primary will of God, actually, is for our lives, is that we would become more like Jesus. So if we're going to have a battle of wills, then we're saying, I'm choosing to submit my will to Father God's will because his will is that I would become more like Jesus. Romans 12 verse 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. How many of you can argue that your will is good, pleasing and perfect. Proverbs 19:21 Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. By declaring your will be done over our lives and our year, we are choosing who wins this battle, this contest. We are choosing obedience, we are choosing to submit 
to his authority. Your kingdom come is declaring a right purpose. That is what we ultimately want to see come to pass. Your will be done, declaring a right priority, submitting our will to God's will, prioritizing what he asks of us over any selfish gain or ambition. And then the third part of the second half of the first sentence. (laughs) On earth as it is in heaven. And what we're doing there is declaring what already is as it will be, which is a slightly strange sentence, but bear with me. See, God's name is already fully worshipped and honoured in heaven. It is already hallowed in heaven. God's kingdom is already complete, and his sovereignty is already absolute and honoured and recognised and acknowledged in heaven. God's will is already done and is already fully accomplished in heaven and followed. And we're asking that God's name, God's kingdom, and God's will would be established then in our own lives and throughout the earth in the same way that they are already established in the heavenly realms. You are holy, God, so we proclaim you holy. You are king, so we ask that you would rule. Your will is sovereign, is over all others, so we choose to submit to it and to live a life of obedience to your call. Team, would you come up and get ready as I, as I finish off? There's a little bit to go. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, Jesus modeled this for us right throughout his entire ministry on earth. Right from the beginning, he told us that he was here to do the will of Father God. John chapter 6 says this, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will. I mean, we're talking about Jesus, the Son of God here, right? But not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. And time and time again in the Gospels, right throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you can find examples of this. Jesus tells us that he is doing the will of the Father. Or he says he only does what he sees the Father doing. His entire life on earth was a life of obedience. And then we read right towards the end of his life, right before the arrest and the crucifixion, Matthew chapter 26, there's this passage I want to read to you. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. What an incredible passage. Three times Jesus prays. Father God, if it is possible, 
if you are willing, can you take this cup from me? Can you take the task of the cross away from me? If it's possible, if there's another way, would you take this one away from me? Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Not as I will, but as you will. See, Jesus didn't just teach his disciples, this is how you should pray. He lived it. He demonstrated it. He showed it. He spoke it. The disciples couldn't even will themselves to stay awake for an hour, but Jesus was willing to submit to the cross and to the Father's will because he knew it was the will of the Father that none should perish. It was the will of the Father that everyone who believed in Jesus would be saved. It was the will of the Father that Jesus would take the punishment for us and that we would be able to have eternity with him. And it was all made possible because Jesus lived out for us, your will be done. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you stand with us if you're able? We're going to worship again, but I would love to pray. I'd love to pray. Praise you, Lord God. Praise you, Lord God. Lord, we thank you for this incredible passage that gives us a pattern for how we should pray. But Lord, we thank you that it helps us understand your priorities, your desires, your plans, your purposes. God, that we are able to align our lives with what you would have done on this earth. And so this morning we take these three statements, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, we apply them to this year. We apply them to our lives. We proclaim your kingdom come, that your righteousness, your peace, your joy would be evident to those around us. Lord, that we would speak the truth of the gospel, that we would invite others to know what it is to have the grace and freedom that comes through salvation from you. We pray your will be done. We declare your will be done. I proclaim in my life in 2023, your will be done. I submit my life and my heart again to you. I surrender my will, my priorities, and I ask that you would increase the desire in me for your priorities and your purposes. Lord, the things that are in your will, God, give me a hunger and a desire and a heart for them that I will be able to live with purpose and a destiny that pleases you, Lord God. Your will be done. And Lord, this weekend, even as an, a nation in New Zealand, as we celebrate Waitangi Day, a day that is so important and so challenging and so, has so much hope and yet also has so much grief attached to it, Lord, this weekend, we pray that over all conversations, over the future of New Zealand, we proclaim... Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Praise you, Lord God. Praise you, Lord.